Hello everyone and happy Thanksgiving! Welcome to Spongebob Binge Pants, but today in this episode we actually have a bonus episode with Hector Navarro and Tom Kenny. Hector, that's right. tell us what, right. We're get, what we're getting today on this thankful we... day where I am thankful for you and thankful for our listeners and thankful for this special interview. I'm extremely thankful for you too, Frankie. And today, the bonus episode is we're going back into the Nickelodeon archives. We're pulling up a classic episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast where I had a chance to talk to Tom Kenny. So we're going to have Tom on the show coming up. But before then, we wanted everybody to make sure to not miss this classic interview with Tom. He is the best. He's got great, great stories. So we hope that you guys have a fantastic rest of your day and holiday. Spend it safely. Spend it with your friends and family and we'll see you guys next week thankful for you frankie i'm thankful for you and enjoy your food oh my goodness my mom's sweet potato pie oh i'm so full but please let me get a little piece of that <laughs> seriously <laughs> thank you so much this week's podcast is brought to you by the crusty crab over the world famous crabby patty what's a crabby patty why, it's only the most mouth-watering, appetizing food in the seven seas. So why don't you come on in and have yourself a Krabby Patty today? The Krusty Krab, come spend your money here! The Krusty Krab is a fictional restaurant in a cartoon that you can never visit. Bikini Bottom, you can never go there. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon! Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California. This is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Hector Navarro. Welcome to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. I am so, so excited to be sitting in the recording booth at Nickelodeon Animation Studios today in Nickelodeon's 25-year history of producing Nicktoons. There might be no character more iconic than that absorbent and yellow and porous square of positivity, SpongeBob SquarePants. And one of the reasons SpongeBob is going to go down in cartoon history with the likes of Bugs Bunny, Scooby-Doo, and Mickey Mouse is because of his equally iconic voice. Our guest has been doing the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants for over 15 years. He's a perfect example of perfect casting, and it's literally impossible to imagine SpongeBob without Tom Kenny. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing, Tom? Good, man. Is this I, the interview? Sure. It can it's be. just us a pre-interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do a little pre-interview yeah, show. There's no Charlie Rose uh, intro. Do you want to intro yourself? <laughs> that would be awesome. That'd be great. Um, you've got the voice for it. No, I was just going to tell you that um, my first celebrity sighting after I moved to Los Angeles, I lived in San Diego. I grew up in San Diego. So when I first moved out here for work, my first celebrity sighting was yourself. Wow. Which is great. That, and uh, that, that guy talking to himself at the bus stop yeah. is Tom Kenny. <laughs> uh, better than that. No, better than that, Tom. I, uh, I was in a comic book store here in Los Angeles, and I was already geeking out because I was looking at comics, and I look over and I saw Patton Oswalt. And I went, oh, that's amazing. Cool. There's my celebrity sighting. That's great. And then in walks Tom Kenny, and you walked up right behind him, and you smacked him on the ass. <laughs> I remember. And then I, I was actually, like... That's Tom Kenny, and that's perfect. That Great. was a twofer. That's right, twofer, yeah. There's Patton Oswalt and his life partner, Tom Kenny, having that, a little spat. That was great. Okay, so I've got so many questions for you, mm -hmm. so many things I want to get into, but um, first of all, how do you keep track of all of your characters? <laughs> well, uh, uh, it's pretty easy. I mean, really, you just kind of compartmentalize, like, like, I know, like, I'm usually on eight or so different series at any given time. Sure. That seems to be the number. And then after that, stuff starts getting canceled, but hopefully something that you auditioned for uh, in the past is is coming uh, down the pike. 
And so, really, I do it by day. It's like, okay, Monday is Miles from Tomorrowland and, uh, you know, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Tuesday is Adventure Time. Wednesday is SpongeBob and Uncle Grandpa. Thursday is Powerpuff Girls and Clarence. And then Friday is just kind of piecemeal kind of stuff, you know, just kind of catch-up stuff. That is amazing. That's an incredible skill. Um, uh, I'm sure you hear this all the time because your IMDb is insane. It's not even a real IMDb. There needs to be another category <laughs> for what kind of IMDb that is with its own database. Uh, it's it's amazing. And then speaking of, I have melted down search engines. Yeah, <laughs> just that. You know, it's funny, like because you do get credited IMDb. I don't know how they find out. Do you know how do they find out about no this idea. stuff? No like, idea. It's it's up there instantly. I'll record something and then it'll be up there almost instantly. But since Every part that you do is credited. People go, wow, you have hundreds and hundreds of entries on IMDb, but a lot of them are like, you know, guy behind door number five, you yeah. know, and then, and then some are bigger, you know, obviously uh, uh, bigger in size and scope. But sure. But uh, it, it does add up to a pretty crazy number just because, uh, you know, us, if, if you're uh, if you're one of the lucky uh lottery winners of uh, t- to make a living in voiceover you can work practically every day yeah. and every day is one or two or sometimes three different series and you'll do two or three characters uh, at least on each show so so it it is kind of rabbits multiplying <laughs> i love 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 your work on the Powerpuff Girls, and now it's coming back. And that's a question I want to ask you is, what is it like stepping back into those roles that you did years and years ago? Are you listening to old episodes? Did you listen before you started, or was it just like right there at the tip of your brain? Well, that's a yeah, that's a good question because uh, one thing when you make your living kind of acting like a kid and being an arrested adolescent, and I also really love my job a lot. You know, I don't want anybody else's job. You know, this cartoon voiceover is the last job I want to have, like ever. <laughs> I don't. It's not a stepping stone to something else. It's not a transition. I'm just like, I just want to do this till I'm uh, ho- help. Hopefully, uh, a really old dead guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with something like Powerpuff Girls, I don't realize how long the pendulum has taken to swing back because. It's been years of you just going to work every day and having kids and doing stuff and living your life. And it isn't until I look at the date that power, the original Powerpuff came out yeah. that I was like, holy cow, this was this, yeah. this was a long time ago. Yeah. You know, like in and, and the way pop culture works, everything comes back around immediately, sometimes more than once. Sometimes, you know, whether it's Ninja Turtles or Strawberry Shortcake or Ponies or 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 uh, a lot of stuff, yeah. you know, uh uh, Looney Tunes, Scooby Doo, any of that stuff, and you know, I'm hopefully SpongeBob will be one of those evergreen perennials that uh, that that comes roaring back every so often. I got a good feeling about that SpongeBob guy. I um, think he's got some legs. Um, I think he's going to be legs. around for a while. Ah, yeah, sea legs, get it? Meow. Gary, that was funny. Oh my gosh! And you must have people, uh, you know, talking about keeping up with these voices and not knowing like how long the pendulum is swinging. You also must have people. Just years after you've wrapped a show, oh, you do know that? Do that voice, do that voice, and that might, you know, keep it fresh in your brain at a, like a comic book convention or anything like that. Yeah. Yes, that happens quite a bit. Yeah, like, uh, when I do the occasional con, and one of the funny parts of of this livelihood is that some video game or cartoon that took you twenty minutes in nineteen ninety six, and then you walked out the door and you know did a bazillion other things and never returned to that character was somebody's biggest thing yeah you know when they were a little kid or maybe they were sick in bed playing spyro the dragon games or something yeah. and you're their spyro 
and you just kind of, you know, for you, it was just something where you went in, you did it, you did the best job you could, the check cleared, knock on wood, move yeah. on, Bob's your uncle, I'll di- I'm auditioning for whatever the next thing is. But it's funny, like, you know, that IMDb you were talking about, like, everything on there is somebody's biggest thing. Yeah. And obviously, something like SpongeBob is, it's actually been around long enough that it spans generations yep. where you have people, young families, like people with kids, and the parents say, I grew up on SpongeBob, and now our kids watch SpongeBob. And oftentimes, there's a grandparent there who said, we didn't understand it when we first saw it, but now we love it. You know, <laughs> Now we're empty nesters in SpongeBob. Oh, we, it's terrific. That's so, amazing. So, yeah, it, it's kind of nice to be part of something that has that impact on not even impacts. It's just at this point, SpongeBob is kind of like this old friend that's always been in the house. Absolutely, and and it's it's a beautiful thing. SpongeBob SquarePants, SpongeBob SquarePants, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Often, I mean, there are people that say I had a great childhood, and SpongeBob was part of it, and. You know, every time I do a Comic-Con, I get these elaborate drawings, some from kids and some from from adults that say, you know, thanks for the greatest childhood ever. Or, you know, thanks for showing me how to use my imagination, stuff like that. (laughs) And um, and then you get people going, my childhood was awful. Yeah. And SpongeBob was an escape for me and cartoons were an escape for me. (sighs) So thanks for providing relief when things weren't so good and you know both both those uh (laughs) both those things are uh, are fine with me but yeah uh, yeah you realize the that these cartoons you know i think animation connects with people on a really deep level and animated characters connect with people on a very deep level yeah and it's funny that this kind of a recent phenomenon that i've been running into has kind of just started happening is where millennials will run into me and start crying. Yeah. Like, because it's, because, you know, it's so emotional. It's like, you know, maybe they're going to college or, or, you know, childhood is something they're leaving behind and they're starting to take their first steps in the world. And SpongeBob is a heavy thing for them. Yeah. You know, and they they just, they they just go, oh my gosh, you're the voice of SpongeBob. And I go, yeah, I'm SpongeBob. (gasps) Men and women alike, male and female alike, whatever hits you in your childhood. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to see somebody from whatever Breaking Bad and you go, oh, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) But if it's something that was, seminal to you and a, a game changer for you when you're in your formative stage. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like if yes. I ran into Can- Captain Kangaroo or Mr. Rogers or Mel Blanc especially, I would probably fall apart because it's it's big. Yeah. And, you know, we never think of ourselves as looming large in people's lives, you know, because, you know, why would we think that? But but you realize it is. You know, not us. We don't loom large in people's <laughs> lives, but SpongeBob does. Exactly. SpongeBob is a character and is a show and is a source of enjoyment for them is is very fraught yeah and, and it's it's yeah that's kind of some a, a phenomenon that i'm just starting to yeah. experience i guess it's a has to do with the timeline of how long spongebob has been on the air and where the kids that started out watching it, it, spongebob in 1999 are now in their lives exactly that was their formative year whatever age they were yeah, but yeah totally, totally yeah and, and 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 it's funny another thing that comes up a lot is adults and young adults and Sometimes older adults, like, you know, 30-year-olds or whatever, if they were 10 or 11 when SpongeBob <laughs> started. Sure. You know, they'll, they'll come and go, oh, my God, 
my friends and I still speak to each other in SpongeBob memes. Yeah, I know. Or, or you know, or or I had a friend in fourth grade that all we did was we bonded over SpongeBob yeah. jokes, and he's still my best friend. In fact, I'm at this Comic Con with him, and the guy comes over. Oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. Talking about Spongebob, I'm so glad that we're heading down this path because my favorite thing about this character is everything you just mentioned is, and I think that he's an incredibly important character for cartoon history because for me, he heralded the the resurgence of innocence and that being okay. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I just, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what helps helped for sure at the, at the beginning Spongebob stand out. And I guess like in terms of comedy archetypes yeah you know you're either the wise guy or the naif that's right you know you're, you're either like the the super naive childlike guy you know which in the stuff that influenced spongebob is represented by stan laurel jerry lewis right uh maybe curly from the three stooges where they just, you know they just act like innocent kids mm-hmm. and then you know the, the, there's the wise guy that would be mo or uh oliver hardy or whatever but because um, i liked all the wise guy characters oh. as a kid too oh yeah sure but you're right. SpongeBob um, kind of stood out, and I think that's very much a product of and sprang from Steven Hillenburg's personality and mm-hmm. approach to life and approach to comedy. You know, Steve's a very wide-eyed guy who's interested in everything and is a very hopeful, sweet guy. And so I think the character that he created had a lot of that in his DNA. Yeah, and I think that only works if you're not. If the naive character isn't the object of derision, like exactly. by the creators of the show, by the writers, like yes. like going, huh, you know, optimism, how stupid, yes, you know, uh, I mean, Squidward can think that, sure, right, and then that's a nice, uh, a nice counterpoint, but I think in terms of the writing of SpongeBob and 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 creating him, that that was a really really huge part of his personality, and when Steve pitched the character to me. He was very clear about that. Yeah. And I think, because he's told me, I know, uh, <laughs> on some level saw some of those qualities in me, which is why he thought of me as the voice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I enjoy life. I'm a happy guy. Yeah. I, I'm a, you know, I, I, <laughs> but I got to take this opportunity, too, to also, I have this chance. I'm in this booth. I'm here at Nickelodeon. I just wanted to tell SpongeBob, listen, SpongeBob, I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of people are are big fans of yourself. And I just wanted to say, thanks for being such a good guy. Because that means a lot to me, and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. You know, I think part of it I owe to my imaginary friend, Tom Kenny. Ah! Underwater sunsets sure are beautiful, eh, Squidward? Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Just the three of us. You, me, and this brick wall you built between us. Yeah. <laughs> sunsets always remind me of bowls of fruit. What do they make you think of, Squidward? Ah! Explosions. I mean, uh, erosion. You know, if I were to die right now in some sort of fiery explosion due to the carelessness of a friend, well, that'd just be okay. Let's go back and and, and discuss some of your influences growing up, the type of animation that you liked, your your comedy influences. You know, you started out doing stand-up. Uh, at what point in your development as a young person did you say to yourself, I want to do comedy, I care about comedy? When did that happen? Really young, uh, very young, like like childhood. Yeah, I was always drawing comic strips, and you know I was horrible at sports, of course. <laughs> and uh, you know I found that by making 
funny comic strips that featured like teachers and kids in the class and all that, you know, and being the funny guy, yeah, you could do it. And people always go, oh, you must have been the class clown with all your nutty, zany voices. You must have been the class clown. Sure. And I wasn't. It wasn't until probably junior high school that I started to feel comfortable more showing that side of me. But I would write jokes for the class clown <laughs> who had no problem putting himself out there. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And he was funny. So yeah. so I liked writing stuff for him to do and just going, hey, you know. You were the to, joke this writer? Joke. I was the joke writer. For, I was the class clown's writer because I was such a wimp, like such a wussy. <laughs> like so like Like, you know. And when I think about it, kind of where I wound up in yeah. my career being a cartoon voiceover guy kind of is that what uh, yeah you know it's like being the drummer it's like yeah i'm playing in the big rock and roll band but i'm behind all this yeah. stuff <laughs> that i all the stuff that i'm banging on i'm not the front man sure 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 and and i, I call it the shy show off yeah you know where, you, where you're simultaneously shy but there's enough look at me look at me and you yeah. that you're out there being funny and doing voices and stuff so yeah. you can't you're not totally shy, obviously. I never thought about that. You know, does that give you more freedom, do you think? Oh, it's incredibly freeing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's miraculously freeing, like levitation freeing. It's funny. To go back to your earlier question. I, I wanted to be a cartoon voiceover guy or, or thought about it. It was always in my mind since earliest childhood and the people who did the voices for cartoons and how they must do it yeah. in the age before the internet or even very much animation writing being available at a small town library sure uh i was always there was it was always on my radar i was always thinking about it and comedy albums and things like that and it all kind of went together you know drawing comics thinking about cartoons um you know playing in bands rock and roll bands and stuff like that like I, i i did all that but it took me a long time to break into voiceover really so i started doing stand up and stuff stand up comedy in clubs in bars well, I was still in high school, and I answered an ad in the local uh, alternative paper that said, <laughs> we're looking to put together a comedy. Have you ever thought about doing stand-up? Show up, you know? And I showed up, and it was before the 1980s comedy boom, so not very many people showed up. Got it. Uh, yeah. You know, a handful of years later, there would have been a ton of people that showed up. But it was like me and maybe four other guys, one of them being that class clown that I wrote for, <laughs> uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Ah, okay. Now it so, all comes so together. So that all that's comes right. together. He that's, was the class clown. That's where Bobcat is. In okay, our high great. school yearbook, <laughs> him and I are co-class clowns. That's awesome. Like it's us and the girl. There's the that's female great. class clown, sure. and then and then you male class clown. It. it was yeah, it was a toss up. <laughs> so uh, so we answered this ad, and you know we couldn't even drive. Yeah. So we had, <laughs> and Syracuse is is a uh, you know kind of a far flung place. You know, there's, yeah. it's not like you can take a subway out there so we we had a friend who was a year older than us who's 17 uh <laughs> drive us to this gig he went up and did stand-up too and i loved it it was yeah. off to the it was off to the races and when we first showed up the guy who ran the gig who would put the ad in the paper was like you're children <laughs> you didn't tell me you were children and we go well you know you didn't ask us come on yeah. just put us up and you know and then we we, we gave back to him and he loved that yeah. Like, real, yeah, you this, know. This is... Like, come on, Gramps, put us on. <laughs> and we're still best friends. Me, yeah. and, me and Bob, I uh, met in first grade and, you know, went through our teen years together, loving punk rock and going to see George Carlin concerts. You know, we saw Andy Kaufman when he was wrestling uh, women on stage. We wow. saw Steve Martin when he had dark black hair and a what? beard. That never and, happened. And, and, uh, and, uh, and an arrow through his head. Yeah, we were kids, you know. Wow. We saw... And, and 
Yeah, punk rock and comedy is what we were all. So cool. It was all what we loved. That story. That's just told one me. I still love. Yeah, that story you just told me. That's so punk rock that you guys, that you and Bobcat Goldthwait had to get your seventeen-year-old friend to drive you to do stand-up. That's so punk rock. Yeah, and That's our parents awesome. had no idea. Like uh, I tell the story oh, in better. Bob's Bob's documentaries that this guy Barry Crimmins was calling the house to book us for the shows. Okay, I'm going to put you on next Wednesday. You know, and my mother couldn't understand why is this thirty-year-old guy calling the house of a 16 year old dude what that's so funny. what's happening here that's you know so like funny. like and of course what was happening here is like hey you know we're i'm a stand-up comedian now yeah. shut up yeah so uh you know the, now the downside of that is that when you're a high school kid and you suddenly are doing exactly what you always wanted to do yeah and you were hoping that it would be awesome to be able to do it and then it really is awesome. It's hard to feign interest in geometry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. You're you're just sitting there thinking about. Yeah, you're like your you're next just, set. And yeah, you're just thinking about. Yeah, jokes. I'm writing jokes. Hey, that'll make a good joke. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I feel kind of bad about that now. And as a parent, I go, <laughs> Oh my god, I would just be appalled if my children. You, know, <laughs> you need to shape up, Mister. At what point did they did they learn from you that you wanted to be a voice actor? That you want to work in cartoons, and how did they react to that? So my parents, they were a little once they, you know, I don't know that I've ever told the story before, but when they when I was living in San Francisco and I was doing okay as a local stand up in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, they my parents came out to visit me. I didn't want them to worry about me. Sure. So I put them up in a way too nice hotel. Yeah. Oh, it's on me. I'm doing all right. Yeah. I was like, oh, how am I going to pay for this hotel <laughs> I got my parents up at? And then uh, at the show, Robin Williams was there. Wow. And he told my parents that I was funny. You know, this is probably like, you know, 86, 87. Oh, my god. He came up to them and said, oh, your son is very funny. He's a, he was a good writer and his stuff is really good. And, you know, you don't need to worry about him. He's very funny. And, I, I was worst Robin Williams impression ever, and, <laughs> and uh, I always mark that as the point where my parents stopped worrying. Wow! When Mork from Mork told them that I was going to be okay, yeah, they said, "Oh, okay, this isn't a fever dream. He's not delusional. He's not, yeah, a loony. You know, he's he's he's, he's not a nut. He's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. He knows what he's doing. And wow, you know, it, and people kept coming up. You know, the club owners were coming up and going, you're good. You know, Tom's yeah. very good. He's on the rise. You know, and I think that trip out to San Francisco in the in the mid '80s uh, really kind of put their minds at ease. Wow. And so I did stand up for quite a while well pursuing voice work and not getting very much of it what you know auditioning for it and just going god maybe i'm just not cut out for this, this is what i really yeah. want to be doing and you know i did conan i did letterman yeah. as a stand-up like yeah like before i was doing any voiceover but i wasn't loving it i wasn't feeling it wow i mean i, lo- I liked it i love you sure. know i loved it up to a point but i was like i didn't love it as much as some guys sure and i always felt vaguely guilty about that yeah like that makes you know sense. like bobcat to this day yeah gets itchy palms if he doesn't go up and do a few sets a week that's awesome and robin was like that yeah and Stephen wright some guys is are like that. that some guys are like that yeah yes totally. a lot of guys are like that and i i really did was lacking that gene yeah. you know where i was like you know after a while i was like you know i knew how to do it but i, I didn't love it sure I, you know it sure beat the heck out of Working on a loading dock totally. or something, which I've been doing. You're cutting meat, or, yeah. or, or and uh, so I was glad to have it, but I, I was kind of inwardly troubled that I didn't love it more. Yeah. And then, but something inside me, like an instinct, just said, "I think voiceover is the place." 
where my weird skill set might be the best utilized. When I did start booking a little bit of voiceover. Yeah, what was that like? I, oh my gosh. It was like, it was kind of like the first time I did stand up, you sure. know, where, where, you know, the first time I did it, it went pretty good. And it was just like, wow, you just, maybe a, this might be a door opening for me. It's very exciting. Like, like I think a, I think I'm, a door might have just opened and I, maybe I can walk through it. Yeah. You know, that's how I felt when I was 16 and did stand up for the first time. Well, what point did you have that Robin Williams moment where you go, okay, this is my career now, and I'm think I think I'm going to be okay, or have you still not hit that point? Because you talked about that before, that thing of you're just a guy that likes to work. I do. I yeah. love what I do, and, <laughs> and I also th- I'm also a guy that like if I go like one day without working, I think it's all over. <laughs> Tom, it's all come over. on, you're Tom Kenny. I'm Tom, like, you're gonna. You know, I know people are like you are <laughs> mentally ill. But you're. You're either stupid or yeah. sick in the head. Yeah. You know, I'm just, you know, you know, hey, I don't, maybe I've just, you know, maybe I've just had 35 really good years. It could be a fluke. You sure. know, maybe it's a statistical an- anomaly. Yeah. So that must be what it is. That's right. Mm-hmm. Billy West and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the voiceover people have that where you're so glad to be doing what you want. It's kind of like f- you marry the most beautiful, most awesome girl in the world. And you're afraid that she's going to get taken away from you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. you're like uh, I don't want to lose you, baby. So, <laughs> it's so you, love. It's love. Uh, what you're saying is that you love this. I, you love yeah. what you do. And, yeah. and, and you, but a lot of us, since we did spend a lot of years where we were doing other stuff, trying to break into the business, which yeah. you know, is pretty much the standard path for everybody, I guess, you do – it can engender like the mentality of someone who, who grew up in the depression – Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and you're like, you're, you never get over feeling poor. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you're Scrooge McDuck, you still remember when you were in the Klondike mining, uh, mining gold. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, uh, yeah. So, so, but when I, when I first did it, it was just, um, uh, you know, like an out of body, beautiful yeah. experience on every level. The people, so the cool. stuff and, and being an animation as a lifelong animation fan, with very minimal drawing skills, I was like, this is a way for me to be involved in the animation industry, despite the fact that my drawing stinks. Do you remember your first gig, your first voiceover gig? What was it? Well, my first voiceover gig, I mean, going back to Syracuse, I went into like a leather store slash head shop in um, Syracuse and just asked, hey, your radio commercials are boring. How about if I write some radio commercials for you? And they're like, yeah, it worked. (laughs) <laughs> that, this, that's the that's the beauty of growing up in a place that's not a major city. Sure, like if you have any gumption whatsoever, yeah, which which most people don't. If you have any gumption whatsoever, people just go, yeah, okay, yeah, you know, because uh, Bobcat and I started like a comedy troupe in Syracuse while we were in our teens, and we just went into a bar and said like, hey, Tuesday nights are kind of dead in here. Why don't you give us Tuesday nights? Well. We were like 16, 17 years old. And like, you know, there's a guy sweeping up and like a pool table nobody's playing on. And he just went, yeah, okay. So, oh my gosh. If you grow up in a major city, there's already the improv. There's already Catch a Rising Star. There's yeah. already the comedy store. They're going to go, no, you, yeah. your children, get out of here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so that was the first time I did voiceover. So I wrote like, and I'm sure they're bad. I, I don't even have copies of these, but oh, they were like parodies. Them. They were like <laughs> Twilight Zone parodies and stuff like that with me doing Rod Serling and uh, who's from Syracuse, by the way. And uh, <laughs> all these uh, all these things. And I had a friend of mine. That was, uh, you know, had a reel-to-reel recording rig in his house mm-hmm. that, that I played in a band with, and he he cut these commercials together for me, and and so that was my first time hearing 
my voice on on the radio. Like, wow, wow they're playing my down under leather, down under leather uh, radio spot. You know, that, that's yeah. cool. Was there any sort of outside of the animation industry re- uh, reaction about Rocco? Was there any fan? Did people know you? Did people, you know, hey, you're yeah. here for Well, not at the time. Right. Well, you know, sometimes at the time. Because it was, you know, it was a Nick Tune. So if you watch Nickelodeon back then, yeah. if you're a 90s kid, yeah. you knew Rocco's Modern Life. And, like, yep. uh, you know, along with uh, Hey Arnold and Rugrats and Beavers and uh, Real Monsters and Ren and Stimpy, of course, which was the show to me that changed that was a big game changer sure yeah uh you know when you look at what was around then it was totally. all toy commercials it was all like you know gummy yeah. bears and yeah you know uh, robot shows and yeah stuff like that and, yeah and comedy it wasn't squash and stretch comedy yeah and you know which is what most of the stuff that i've done kind of uh is in that bag so so you know ren and stimpy i think was you know, I, I'm very grateful that Ren and Stimpy happened, and Billy West was a great uh, idol of mine even before I was doing voiceover. Before I ever met him, he was like, I was like, man, that guy. If I, God, you know, that guy, <laughs> that what a, if, if I could work with that guy or yeah. kind of try to be half the voice actor that guys like him are, yeah. you know, and even if I can be half as good as them, I'll be doing all right. Hello, Rocco. Hiya. What's up? Do you know where I can find an elk? Hmm. How about the Elks Club? Good thinking. Thanks, Rock. Anytime. Rocco's Modern Life was my first series. So that was early 90s, 92, 93, probably. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Joe Murray was a creator. And Carlos Elizraki, who was a San Francisco comedian, Mm -hmm. who also worked at a health club right near my house in San Francisco. (laughs) Again, these are the tendrils that you... I know, I feel like I have to mention all this stuff. It's hard to keep track of it all. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, But if you make a flowchart of it, it's pretty effed up, isn't it? (laughs) And uh, he suggested me to Joe Murray and said, there's this funny guy, Tom Kenny. He loves cartoons. He's good at characters. Yeah. You know, you should at least have him come in and read for this heifer guy. Yeah. And... That's what happened. Now, before that, I had done a few episodes of a short-lived Dumb and Dumber animated series. I remember Dumb and Dumber, the animated series. Yeah. 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 I was like a villain on it that was based on Ross Perot, which tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> I remember uh, who, Ross who, Perot. Who at that time was current. But, That's right. <laughs> but, you know, um, so I wasn't one of the two Dumb and Dumber guys. Sure. Uh, which in the movie are Jim Carrey and uh, Jeff Daniels. And Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. But in the show, so Matt Frewer. Yeah. Was uh, the uh, Jim Carrey guy? Gotcha. He so he was dumber. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Jeff Daniels was dumb. Bill Fagerbaki. Oh, amazing! There's another tendril there was, right there. There's another tendril. That was the first time I ever met him. That's great. And uh, who knew? You know, we got along great. And what was it like to see the animation on TV when it was all done and hearing your voice coming out? Oh, of that? I loved it. Like, yeah, I auditioned for Joe Murray. I was heifer. I kind of based it on my, um, you know, he was kind of like this cow that wasn't really bright, but he was also sweet, kind of in the SpongeBob tradition. That might be where. Steve Hillenberg saw the efficacy of having like kind of a wide-eyed, uh, innocent character. Yeah, uh, he was kind of based on my thirteen-year-old, my then thirteen-year-old nephew, my <laughs> brother's son Sean, who was just sort of like this all the time, and you know, just sort of shy and always kind of looking at. It. He was happy, but he was always kind of looking at his feet too. And so I kind of just kind of did my lousy impression of of my nephew for Heifer, and and Joe liked it. And I remember walking into the room for the first time, and Charlie Adler, who was just you know, working, uh, you know, he's always, you know, he, he predated 
me in the business, you know. Mm-hmm. So so he had already done a ton of stuff and had all this range and could do all these things. He he voice director now as well as voice actor and d- yeah. does stuff for Nickelodeon uh, directing now as well as voicing. Yeah, I walked in and he was doing like a three-way conversation where he was doing three characters in the scene. Wow. And they were like, "Charlie, do you want us to do you want to get the the characters separately and then we'll cut it together later?" And he's like, "No, no, forget it." So, and I was just like, "Oh, crap." You know yeah. what I mean? I could never do that. It's a big leaks. Yeah, mm-hmm. I better I better improve quickly um you know i always say i felt like it was like i stepped into a typing class where everybody could type like 300 words a minute and i'm like the hunt and peck uh, one finger guy yeah and then my typing got better uh yeah i guess the ten thousand hours theory you know if if you don't get better at something something's wrong but yeah (laughs) he he, uh that was that was a, a really big watershed like a uh, an- angelic choir moment for yeah. me, and it was so fun. Boy, look at that baby go! Adventure, the open road—it just doesn't get any better than this. What is that like to to know that you are uh, a lot of people and animation fans and and aspiring voice actors? You're their pinnacle. You're their sort of uh, idol that they look up to. I do get that, you yeah. know, uh, especially at comic cons and stuff like that, sure. and panels, and the, you know, the interesting thing is like. Up until sort of recent years, voice acting wasn't really so much on the radar. Like it wasn't re- like it was a weird aspiration to have. Like yeah. When I when I wanted to do it, it was a very strange aspiration to have, especially because TV animation was kind of at a nadir anyway. Pre totally. Ren and Stimpy, totally. like what would you do? You know, all the stuff you love is over. Yeah. Lo- Lo- Looney Tunes is done. Bullwinkle's done. Max Fleischer Popeyes were a hundred years ago. All this stuff. <laughs> w- w- what are you going to do? Get get in a time machine? You yeah. Know? So when Rocco got not picked up, uh, or when it ran its course, I should say, it did their fifty-two half hours. Then it was done, and I didn't book another voiceover for quite some time after that. Wow. And I was auditioning, and so there was part of me going, maybe that was. My voiceover career. Oh, uh, maybe that was it. Tom. It was really fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was, I was like, well, you know, it was nice while it lasted. Back to, back to stand up, I guess. Yeah. When I was doing stand up, yeah, audition for Saturday Night Live. Wow, went really far up the food chain. There were two slots open. It came down to Spade, Rob Schneider, and myself. Wow, fly to New York, Lauren Michaels, Catch a Rising Star. Yeah. I had a really good set. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I think I might have just had a really good set at a Saturday Night Live audition. Am I crazy? Yeah. You know? And I think, I, you know, and didn't get it. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Rob Schneider and David Spade wound up on the show. And at the time, that was the most devastating oh. thing that had happened to me, where I was just like, this is the brass ring. This was my chance. And for whatever reason, maybe maybe it's something I'm giving off. You know, is it mm-hmm. fear of success? Is yeah. it something? And, you know, now in retrospect, it's just like Lorne Michaels is putting together his fantasy football team and he's looking for a peg of this shape and a peg of this shape. Yeah. And I just wasn't in the right shape. Yeah. But at the time it was devastating. Like, I, you know, I cried. I, I thought that was it. I'm done. You know, I'm toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's wrong with me that I didn't get that job? You know, I felt like I did good. And now I feel like 
that was a gigantic, gigantic, fortunate blessing circumstance that yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? I feel like I now I feel like I dodged a bullet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like totally. I've got a way better career now than I would have. And I feel like I have a way, a career that I love a lot more than that. Because, yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah. chance, I, I mean, Saturday Night Live has had a ton of people on it. Sure, sure, sure. And most of those people wind up as, you know, whatever happened to that guy? He had a couple of good characters. Yeah. He wasn't bad. Didn't they make a movie about that? He, he was pretty so. good. He was pretty good. Yeah, you know, he wasn't good. he wasn't the best, but, but he had guy? a couple of good characters. Whatever happened yeah. to that guy? And the answer is, because I run into those guys around Los Angeles, oftentimes they're doing their laundry at the laundromat that you're walking by and you go, oh my God, that guy used to be outside of that life. Yeah. And now he doesn't have a wash machine. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's incredible. you wow. know, so, so, I mean, not to, uh, the only reason I'm telling that story is because people are asking me about it a lot lately because Schneider and Spade are telling it on their book tours. <laughs> and anyway, right. kids, adults, <laughs> teenagers, old people, uh, human beings of all ages, the stuff that you think is uh, is a tragedy that's going to knock you down sometimes turns out to be a total uh, beautiful uh, ray of sunlight in disguise. <laughs> and how, what, what a SpongeBob, uh, what a SpongeBob uh, moral that is, huh? Yeah, that's perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom, for doing this. Thank uh, you. We so appreciate it. Uh, I think everybody, along with me, is doubly inspired to continue doing with whatever they're doing, or maybe they're going to try something new. So thank cool. you so much, man. That was awesome. Thanks, man. Well, thanks, uh, thanks everybody out there for uh, giving a darn and and <laughs> uh, watching cartoons and loving cartoons as much as uh, as much as we all do. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with the great Tom Kenny. That was so much fun. Thrill of a lifetime. Okay, you're not going to want to miss an episode of the podcast, so please come back, visit us next week on nickanimationpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes and tons of bonus content like photos from the podcast of me and Tom, as well as original production art from SpongeBob and Rocco from our very own Nick Archives. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures, all of the incredible social Social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Greg Nix, and thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Grova. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Oh boy, that was a fantastic interview. I am just so stuffed with how good that interview was. Oh, Frankie, do you even have um, any more room for um, yams? Hold on, I'm st- I'm still chewing. Mm-hmm. I'm so, it's yeah. it's so I'm so <laughs> stuffed full of great interview. Stuffed uh, full of food and great interview. I was eating the interview. whole time I was listening to it. <laughs> Hector, what an amazing brilliant interview oh. i am i'm so amazed that you got to have that and i'm so excited and and i can't wait for us to have tom kenny on this show yes. because that was just so inspirational and especially hearing you know what he was saying about the fact that had he had he gotten snl he yep. would not be on spongebob he wouldn't be know. you know who he is today he wouldn't Isn't be you crazy? know voice directing and now and this time and he wouldn't be spongebob's voice like it's so crazy um that it, had that one door opened this door would have been forever closed to him yeah. and, I, and i just i always say it on the show everything happens for a reason but it was really nice to hear you know tom kenny say it and yes. to know like for all of our listeners out there that it's just like listen when you don't get that one gig or that one opportunity that is because it's that's 
what it's supposed to be. That's what, that's it's, supposed what it's supposed to be. To be. Mm, I, you're great right, Frankie. Hector. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, brother. I so appreciate that. And you're right. In in a little bit, when we get a chance to talk to Tom, we will definitely be sort of catching up. You know, because this interview was from a few years ago now, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about where SpongeBob is today, his mm-hmm. voice directing, everything, everything that's happened, everything that's changed. Can't wait to talk to Tom again. Thank you, the listeners, so much for checking this episode out. And again, hope you have a great rest of your holiday. Stay safe with your family and friends and loved ones. And don't get too stuffed. All right, Frankie, I got to go and uh, I'm going in for seconds. Here we go. Yes, let's unbuckle our belts and uh, get ready for some more food. There we go. There Happy it is. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving.